Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter, Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's um, London-based fashion reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. Two weeks in a row, Zofia, you're joining us. Um, we actually are also going to have another guest later on in the episode, our summer intern, Gabby Garcia. Astolfi is going to be joining us, um, but we will we will save that for later. Um, Sophia, today we're talking about a couple interesting things. Um, we're talking about the real real and how they've sort of struggled with profitability and cost cutting. Um, kind of some stuff we've talked about on this podcast before, but there was a recent report in the information that kind of confirmed some of the things we've talked about. So um, we'll get back into that. Uh, we're also going to talk about the increasingly visible impacts of inflation on the U.S. and the U.K., specifically the fashion industries there. And then finally, with Gabby, we will be talking about J.Lo's honeymoon and all the clothes she wore on it and how much we all love J.Lo. Um, big fans of J.Lo at Glossy. But let's start with the real real. So um, there was a really great article in The Information um, earlier this week. I'm going to put a link to it in the, the podcast article. It's going to be on the Glossy's website because it's such a good article, but uh, by the writer Malik Morris that goes into the real some of the Real Real's finances and particularly like the struggles they've had to keep costs down and like try to reach profitability. They've been around for like a decade and have never gotten close to being a profitable company, um, which is like weirdly so common. And and I feel like recently that's start, starting to kind of shift in, in at least in the investors that I've heard from or the brands that I've talked to that that used to be fine to be unprofitable for like a super long time. And now it's a little bit like maybe it's the recession or a combination of other factors, but it seems like that's just not as uh, like acceptable any longer. Um, so the the two things that stood out to me and Zofia, I'll hear your thoughts in a second, but the two things that stood out to me about the real real uh, from this report is that uh, one, they've got these really expensive stores, the brick and mortar stores, um, which are very beautiful. I've been in several of them, at least in New York, and they're gorgeous stores. They look great. They're great for brand building. They kind of like they help sell the real real as a luxury um, experience, but they are also so expensive to maintain. They're all in like the most expensive markets in the country. They're like big and glamorous, um, and that cuts into their their costs a lot. And then the other thing is that they've they focused a lot on getting as much inventory into the ecosystem as possible and uh to do that they often that often means not cutting costs uh where they could in the pursuit of not discouraging people from bringing stuff in so for example there there was this report mentions the possibility of maybe we should um start charging people for the shipping to send back items that we can't sell but that was shot down by the former ceo julie wainwright because she didn't want to discourage people from trying to sell stuff or sending stuff in you know what i mean so it's like in the pursuit of getting as much stuff in they probably could have cut down some costs but they they did not. So anyway, I've been talking for a while. Sophia, what are your thoughts on on the real reels kind of struggles with profitability and costs and revenue and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the the kind of resale sector is one whole area, but I think there's a whole growing trend of, you know, VC-backed companies who are, maybe have loaded a ton of money into something and things not panning out. And then, you know, essentially the the money is just keeps getting thrown. Um, instead of, you know, recalibrating, thinking about, you know, store strategies, is that, you know, a reliable kind of option? My guess is that, you know, the real real also had to keep up costs for 
the stores during the pandemic? Like, did it close them down? Like, how did that affect the bottom line? Um, I'm sure that that has impacted their profitability as well. And it's kind of, I think it's probably even a little bit late for this to be coming out now. Um, It seems like something that should have been reviewed like a lot earlier. And, you know, if you compare it to other companies in the space, like let's say like Vestiaire or someone like that, um, it's companies who are already understanding that, you know, having their own retail footprint is just too expensive. Like they have more opportunity for growth by looking into other areas and that that kind of brand building aspect is great for brands. But when you come looking at it from a resale perspective, like does that really correlate to sales? And, you know, as as you can see with the real world, it doesn't. Um, and I think that's pretty important, and especially now as well, because like a lot of brands are actually launching their own resale things. So, you know, they're also taking back product and especially luxury product, which has like, you know, a significant resale value. Like it is just something that is going to keep growing, like more brands are going to keep doing that, which means that, you know, it might actually be more profitable for customers to send that stuff back to the brands they bought it from. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a lot more competitive space than it was a couple of years ago. Um, like you said, the brand, like not only are there more resale specific platforms like Vestiaire, um, Vestiaire Collective, but there's also the brands. Like you said, a lot of those brands have started doing their own in-house resale stuff. So it's just yet more way, more places where that used product can go and where people can buy it. Um, at the same time, again, like you said, the I feel like it was common for brands or or startups to get just, you know, tons of VC funding and just coast for years with like nowhere close to profitable status because they just had, you know, this never ending stream of of money from venture capital investors with the with the idea being that like we can be unprofitable for a long time if it helps us grow into like this huge scalable market cornering sort of um, entity. Like that's how that's how Uber did it and and a lot of other places. but that relies on that funding not drying up and and the investors not uh, starting to expect profitability or something close to profitability. And I feel like the recently, I mean, we had a great story by um, Emma Sandler on the, the beauty team at Glassy about you know talking to some investors and it definitely seems like they're much more interested in a, a stable, like sure thing, um, profitable or at least clear path to profitability business than they used to be a couple of years ago where there was just money everywhere and going to anyone with like a halfway decent pitch. So not to say that the real real is not like a good business or, or that they don't have a lot of experience, but it definitely feels like they, they need to start thinking about, you know, the very simple, how much money are we making? How much money are we spending? Like, I feel like that's just going to have to start factoring into their decision-making soon. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, it's just something that is just not going to happen um, as much anymore. And, you know, exa- exactly what you said, like BC ideas um, and, you know, all of these kind of half-baked things are just becoming less common. Like it's not a thing that is as prevalent as it was before. Yeah, for sure. One other thing just to to mention for the real real is like, not only are their, their costs, you know, going up and or that they're sort of uh, refusing to, to make some cost-cutting measures that they could do. They're also, their revenue growth has slowed. Like they're definitely, they're making more money than they were last year, but not as much more as from the years prior. So the the losses are widening a little bit. So it's it's not just pressure from increased costs. Their, their revenue is kind of like not quite matching that as well. So there's a lot 
for them to think about. Um, again, Julie Wainwright just stepped down, and and I think they just have um, Rowdy Sahi Levesque, who is the president, I think is interim CEO right now, and they still have not, like, you know, they don't have a clear permanent person in that role. So it just seems like it's it's in flux. I, I don't think it's, like, you know, tanking or, or it's a disaster or anything, but it definitely seems like that company is going through some a transition right now. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, let's move on and talk about inflation. So, Zofia, you've been reviewing some of the the figures and numbers, both for the U.S. and the U.K. Um, what what have you seen? Yeah, so I mean, with um, Walmart's kind of announcement on Monday, it seems like the whole kind of consumer facing goods industry is facing a little bit of a reckoning. Um, and I think this is going to be the same thing as it was, you know. Um, earlier this year where, you know, retailers had bought up a ton of stock um, and they're now going to have to get rid of all of that excess inventory just to, you know, make even. I think that the consumer spend in the US is still relatively stable, like you guys are not being affected by higher energy bills at the moment. Um, There might be more costs coming from inflation and recession, but I think that the majority of the, the segments seem to be evening out. Um, and even though, you know, maybe some non-essentials um, are not going to be as popular in the coming months as they typically would have been, you know, with summer dressing um, or, you know, festival picks, uh, wedding season, all that. Um, it does seem to be relatively stable for now in the US. In the UK, um, it's a bit of a different situation. Um, price hikes are starting to, to come up on the retail indexes. Um, I think the British Retail Consortium um, said that it grew on a monthly basis to 4.4% in July, up from 3.1% in June. And it's the highest kind of rate of shop price inflation since the index started in 2005. So it suggests like an upward trajectory and it's something that, you know, is going to keep growing. Um, obviously, how that impacts luxury fashion is a little bit different because at the moment, from all of the earnings this week, including LVMH, it seems like the luxury segment is actually pretty stable. But we'll see if that, you know, affects high street brands the same way, if it affects, um, you know, the kind of more regular fashion purchases, including like online e-commerce, all of that stuff. Um, And I think it probably will, just because, you know, there's a lot of costs right now talking to analysts in the whole supply chain sector that are going up. Um, a lot of it's kind of got to do with shipping and freight and um, material costs that are just going through the roof. And that's not expected to change. And then on the other side, obviously, you've got the consumer um, side of things, too, with a lot of um, kind of price increases coming there, um, especially in, in October when the UK kind of consumer is going to be hit pretty hard by energy price bills. Um, and that is going to be elevated by 50% or more. So really steep one. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't like, you know, going from 3% to 4% between June and July is like, doesn't sound like that much, but it's like, if everything is going up 4%, I mean, like that just, it, it adds up, you know? And, and like you said, with increased energy costs and everything, like it it's, it definitely feels like, you know, when we were doing that that package of stories on Glossy about 
the the possibility of an incoming recession, like either globally or kind of like focused in the U.S., it's uh, was a lot of like theoretical kind of stuff. And there was a little bit of from the sources I talked to, most people agreed that something like this was happening. But there was some kind of like, well, maybe maybe not like maybe maybe it won't be that bad. But it definitely seems like now we're starting to see like there are actual measurable impacts of like inflation and stuff on, on prices. Interesting that you mentioned the luxury brands, though, because I always feel like if in reading about like the 2008 financial crisis, for example, the luxury brands were kind of like flourishing during that time because they were, you know, like it was not their core customer who was impacted by a lot of this stuff. Like the Chanel raises prices all the time, like for fun. They, it's, you know, they, because <laughs> yeah. it's like already so much more expensive that like to buy than it costs to make like it's it's kind of like they're a little bit they're they're not playing with as tight margins as maybe a mass brand does where they're they're intentionally trying to keep the profit margin really low so that they can you know sell based on you know the the value the low price so i always feel for those brands like when when you've got a really tight margin and the prices go up of like whether raw materials or manufacturing by even a couple of percentage points it can like you can make some things even into like a negative margin where it's like, this is now more expensive than we're selling it for. If you've got the really tight margin. However, if you're making a bag that costs you like a hundred dollars to make and you're selling it for $8,000, it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not, not as much of an impact. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, the whole kind of luxury segment is, is just not going to be affected in the same way. And, you know, even talking to, you know, some of the luxury brands earlier this year, I think that a lot of them were saying that, you know, it doesn't really matter for them because they will absorb whatever costs that they need to and they'll do, you know, annual raises for prices as as Chanel does, for example. Um, but they won't really kind of communicate that or, you know, pass it on to the customer because it's just, it's not in good taste. Um, and I think that, you know, it's a very different situation, as you said, with mass market brands um, who are definitely looking at passing that um, price increase on to consumers. Although, again, they're going to have to reckon whether, you know, it, are consumers even going to buy this stuff if it's going to increase in prices? I mean, I know that it's a very kind of early indicator and not even in the same market, but a lot of, you know, subscription services, for example, are raising their prices. And I think that, you know, that's just for inflation for a market that isn't affected by supply chain issues that much. Like this was going to be a much bigger kind of area. And I think that coming into autumn or um it's going to be a, a much bigger thing. One final thing on, on the topic of inflation. I was talking to a designer recently, Neely Lotan, and um, she said something really interesting. She Her price point is like a little bit below like Prada or Saint Laurent, but a little bit above like Rag and Bone or Theory. It's like, you know, luxury, but, you know, a little bit more affordable than, than you know, really high-end like LVMH kind of brand. Um, but she said most of her her core customer is someone who can easily afford to buy whatever they want from her collection. She has lots of people who come in and buy the entire collection. Every time she puts out a collection, someone come in and buy one of everything. Um, but she said there's also a, a, a significant, uh, a minority but significant group of customers who are below the sort of like core, maybe income bracket for, for her brand, but who occasionally, you know, stretch themselves and splurge and buy one piece like from from each season like it's not something they could afford to do every time she puts out something new but that they, they are they like the brand and they will uh stretch their budget a little bit to get like just one piece um 
And for a lot of these luxury brands, like if you if you can easily afford to buy the entire collection like three times over, and then they raise the prices a little bit, it's not ultimately gonna affect you that much. But if you're someone who can just barely, if you really like save and, and stretch, afford one or two pieces, and then they raise the prices, you know, a, just a couple percentage points, it's now suddenly beyond your grasp. So um, I don't know how much of a big business impact that will have, because I'm sure that's like, a, you know, like she said, a minority of their customers. But from a cultural perspective, I feel like you'll see an impact of um, people like me who cannot normally afford Gucci or Prada or whatever, but who maybe would you know, occasionally, occasionally splurge on an expensive thing, just not being able to do that anymore. So whatever impact that has on the fashion culture, you know, I'm, I'm sure we will find out. Yeah, definitely. And actually, like, looping back to our first topic, like, maybe that will push more people into resale. Like, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Um, okay, Zofia, thank you so much for joining us. Um, again, it's always nice to have you. And this, again, two weeks in a row. Great to have <laughs> you on. Um, for our last segment, though, I want to bring on our wonderful summer intern, Gabby Garcia Astolfi. Um, she's been here the last, what, eight, nine weeks, Gabby? How long have you I would say nine weeks, yeah. Nine weeks. Okay, Gabby's been doing an amazing job. Um, she's written a bunch of, if you've seen the, the podcast posts on our website, a lot of those are written by Gabby. She wrote a great article about Old Navy kind of pulling away from the bot equality thing a month or two ago that like got, you know, got a lot of attention. Gabby, you've been killing it. Um, <laughs> and you are, next week is your last week with us, right? Yeah, sadly. Very sadly. So we want to make sure Gabby got on the podcast before she goes. Um, Gabby, uh, actually, one more bit of introduction. Are you still in school or did you graduate? I forget. I graduated in December from American University. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you um, so much. So yeah, we wanted to make sure Gabby got on. We're going to talk about um, Jennifer Lopez's honeymoon. Uh, she wore a lot of different clothes and all of them got a ton of attention, particularly Reformation. She wanted, she wore a bunch of Reformation. Um, but also I saw uh, Jens Greed, um, who's the, the founder of Frame, was like posted on his Instagram story of JLo wearing Frame jeans. Um, obviously there was the Reformation dresses. Um, here at Glossy, we love JLo. We often talk about JLo in the Glossy Slack. Um, I'm curious, uh, Gabby, as a younger person, What's the what's the perception of of J Lo among your your peers? Like, does she is she purely like a millennial icon, or like do people do people still care what she's wearing and what she's doing? Yeah, honestly, it's a great question because I I do think that she is a bit of a millennial celebrity. Um, I I've noticed a lot. Like, I'm on the tail end of Gen Z that still has like vivid memories of music videos or hearing her on the radio um, and seeing her perform at, you know, these crazy venues. But it doesn't feel like right now that JLo has this, like, massive Gen Z following. Um, I know some kids who are, like, 15, 14, don't even know who she is. So I think as time goes on, she's losing a little bit of uh, steam of keeping up with the younger generation. Yeah, I I'm sure there was a little bit of a resurgence with that movie Hustlers a couple of years ago, which I know a lot of people loved. Um, I don't know how many 13-year-olds or whatever watched it, but like I feel like that was in the the cultural zeitgeist for sure, um, which to me felt like a little bit of a comeback. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting her sort of status as a, an icon or an influencer. 
Um, what are your thoughts on like a more traditional celebrity like like Jennifer Lopez compared to maybe a more traditional influencer, you know, like a social media kind of born person who focuses maybe more explicitly on style and fashion. Uh, I don't know, like, do you do you find one or the other more influencing to you or do you feel like both? I don't know. In terms of celebrities and influencers, I think there's always that that uptick of appreciation with icons more so like Beyonce or like Nicki Minaj. Um, but I think honestly because of cancel culture and just kind of being aware of wealth disparity, uh, I think as time goes on, more young people and I guess people in general are just questioning the status of celebrities, the weight and power that they have in society. And because of that, I've noticed more, at least for myself as well, to feel better and feel more sustainable following smaller personalities on TikTok. I guess like that's, that's to me how things are looking like and will continue to progress in that direction. But of course, yeah. celebrities, I feel like, will be around for a very long time as well. Of course. And actually, you just reminded me that uh, of like Kylie Jenner taking like a five-minute flight on the private jet and all the all the like yep. intense backlash. I mean, rightfully so. That's like insane. That's the yeah. amount of fuel that like a plane uses compared to a car. And like a car is already kind of bad, but like it's yeah, it's, it's sickening. It's, it's like cartoon. It's really sickening. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like that's something where like a lot of people took notice, and it wasn't just like a minor swept under the rug kind of thing. It was, I feel like a lot of people were very unhappy with that. But I think you're right. There's like a lot more awareness of like, I don't know, should we be idolizing these people? Um, I did want to mention that the on the topic of JLo specifically, um, she has definitely, I think, been a style icon specifically and not just a celebrity because there was that green Versace dress that she wore yes. to the Grammys like in like early 2000s or something that absolutely was like uh, a moment. It like has its own Wikipedia page. That's like yeah. Jennifer Lopez's yeah. dress. Like it's it's very it's a very big deal. Gabby, I guess the real question is is not just JLo, but do you how do you feel about Benefer? And then addendum, do you even know what Benefer is or do you even remember Benefer? You know, I I may have been a one year old when they first came out as a couple and you know the whole That's crazy to engagement me. fiasco. I know, I know, but but here I am, conscious and twenty-two about Benefer, the second coming of Benefer. <laughs> And Were you born I, in 1999? I was. I wow. actually made like, what, three months before. So I'm October 99. Oh, wow. Um, I know. <laughs> That's insane. But, <laughs> I know. And I I mean, at least I get to live Benefer for yeah, yeah. another moment. I was, you know, maybe like there'll be a third time. You never know. I'll maybe, yeah, maybe another generation of children who are one year old now and will miss out on this exactly. era of Benefer, will, they'll get another era of Benefer 20 yeah. years from now. I think every generation deserves a Benefer um, I, living. I remember, so I'm born in 93, so I'm not that much older than you, but I remember that my first even exposure to JLo was the music video for the song uh, Get Right, I think it's called, where she's got like a yeah. huge like afro and is wearing like, yep. like shiny silver pants and stuff. And I was like, this is incredible. This is the best thing I've ever seen. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's insane how long she's been in sort of the spotlight, and yeah. what a, what an incredible resurgence for for the Benefer era. I also wanted to get your thoughts. I'm just like quizzing you as like a young person <laughs> how you feel about these things um, about Reformation because I have been trying mm-hmm. to, I've been trying to find out from them was were the dresses that Jayla wore was this like a coordinated thing or just like a happy accident that now they're kind of embracing? Like, I never know. And I feel like they've been a little vague with me. So I haven't quite figured out exactly what the deal is there. Um, is it is that a brand you care about or, or have much? Yeah, personally, I have heard from my circle of friends, oh, you know, I have this piece from Reformation or I'm um, getting them from, uh, I guess, a secondhand website. Things like that. So a lot of, I think there is um, a bit of a reach to Gen Z. Um, but me personally, I don't have the means to to get something like that. Um, even though they're all, I think they, they do, Re- Reformation does a good job of teetering between millennial and Gen Z fashion trends and styles. Uh, like right now, and even, you know, on JLo's honeymoon, it's a lot of like the European vacation, you know, linen, silk, very classic kind of fun things to wear that I think both sides resonate with. Um, But I also, as a plus size person, Reformation has never struck me, you know, from the outside as an inclusive size brand. And I know that they have had problems with that as well. Um, So so I'm not sure how, how things will progress in the future. I know that the CEO has said that, you know, inclusive sizing is... It's a small part that's still growing in their brand, but I don't know. I feel like that's a cop out. So, I think the the risk, maybe not risk, but like the the potential thing that can happen with a, a moment like this. So, I, like I said, I've been trying to talk to Reformation about like how they're gonna, you know, capitalize on this moment. Like a big celebrity is like very publicly wearing their stuff in a very you know buzzy sort of way. I think there's the obvious path that it could go, which is that it inspires a bunch of people to buy that dress or buy similar dresses from the same brand. But also, like you said, if you can't afford Reformation or for for some reason it's not accessible, it might also just, you might look at it and be like, wow, that looks great. I'm going to buy a similar thing from like some fast fashion brand or something. Exactly. Um, That's exactly the thought process. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go on Shein or whatever and or Zara and like see if they have something similar, which is like, you know, the brand can't really control that, and that's that's out of out of their hands a little bit. Um, but it is something like something like this doesn't necessarily immediately translate to sales because like the customers that you know the people don't necessarily have any sort of loyalty to Reformation. They're like just want the thing that looks as good as that dress looks on J Lo. So um, anyway, I, that's just you know another path that could go down. Okay. Gabby, I think that's all that I will stop grilling you on on Gen Z questions. But thank you so much for for joining us. And again, thank you for being such a great intern. You you did so much great work in the the past month or two or months that you've been here. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. Your words mean so much. And thank you for having me. Of course. And for those of you listening, if you have not given us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, please do so. It really helps us out a lot. And you should also subscribe to the Glossy Podcast if you haven't done so, because every Wednesday I do the Week in Review, sometimes with Sophia, sometimes with Jill. Um, And also every Wednesday, Jill does an interview with some important industry insider, some cool, innovative person. 
Um, if you give us a subscribe, you can hear both of those every week. Um, yeah, that's all. Once again, thank you for listening.